Welcome to episode 54 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast, where we talk all things aviation for those who are starting their aviation journey in midlife. This is a podcast about sharing our experiences and the greater community's experiences as a midlifer. So whether you're a student pilot, seasoned veteran, or just an enthusiast who maybe wants to learn, we're glad you joined us. My name is Ben, and it feels weird to say this, but I am a commercial rated pilot in the Atlanta area, flying a Cessna 182 tonight with us, as always, from Nashville, Tennessee, on Music Row. We have Brian. Hello, Brian. What's going on? The Sage has now moved to a whole different level, and I can hire you to bring me, I don't know, breakfast or something, or I don't know. What, what do you do <laughs> now with the commercial? But we'll get, to that. Have, we'll get to that. We'll get to that later. Also you tonight, fifty-one percent of the uh, prorated share uh, <laughs> played. Yeah, not if it's by play. We'll get to that later tonight. <laughs> from the West Coast, flying his amazing flight design CTLS, our little plastic egg, our sport pilot extraordinaire. Hey, Ted, how you doing? Hey, doing well. Yeah, awesome. We broadcast this podcast live on YouTube. Every Tuesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern, you can find it at youtube.com slash at Midlife Pilot Podcast. The live chat is open for questions and comments and making fun of us and <laughs> whatever you want to do. Audio only version of this podcast is at iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. Please be sure to subscribe or follow whatever your podcast player does. We love getting five-star reviews. We'll read it on the podcast if we can get a five-star review from you. Email us at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Feedback, suggestions, any great stories, your life story, we'll read it. We love it. Send it to us. We also have a very active Discord community. You can send us an email requesting an invite. We'll get that sent out to you as soon as possible. And we are on the verge of having our store back up and running. We just I placed an order tonight. We're going to see how that goes before we announce that it's ready to go. Yeah. So, Ted, what have you been up to? Oh, so I finally got back in the plane. It's been since uh, Thanksgiving because of terrible weather here. And PNW, you know, that, that, maybe. That aviation therapy is great. And so I went to... I was going to go drop down to another airport and the whole area was covered in fog. So I turned around and came back. And so I've got a question for you, which is, it's near an airport. I was half an hour outside of the Charlie. So I go to pick up flight following as I turn around and came back. And they said, all right, hold on, come back to you. How long do you wait for them to come back to you? Are you hearing other conversations on the frequency? Yeah, it's, a, it's about 50% busy. There's, you know, okay. so there's gaps and everything else. I, it's a hard question, but it, it's the context. So if he's yeah. reading back a uh, IFR clearance, then you know where that's going to end. And that's when right. I jump in. It's when you know that he's done talking to that specific airplane right. when I try to jump back in. And I'll wait two or three conversations. If he's told me to stand by, I'll let three, maybe even five conversations go by with different airplanes till I jump yeah. back in saying, hey, yeah, you forgot about me? Yeah, there was a C-130 at the coast that they were trying to get relayed traffic to. He was off the radio. So, and that wasn't super taking up all the time, but it was obviously taking up a lot of his attention and people checking in and that kind of thing. But I think that really what happened is there were 
three planes in the general area. And I think that it probably just dropped. It was like, oh, there's a guy near Salem. And then somebody else came on. And so he just assumed that, that was me again. So right. I, I waited because I was waiting for that that kind of big interaction to happen. And so it was seven minutes. And so it was really interesting to go back and listen to that and think about how to do that. It's the question. Right. The question yeah. really is how many CTLS flight designs will fit in a C-130? <laughs> yes. <laughs> and if you called in with uh, CTLS or flight design, he's got, that's got to stick out in his memory because there aren't a whole, it's not like it's a Skyhawk where every yeah. other going to be that way. Yeah, I think so too. But so, that's, yeah. it's fine. It was not, it wasn't a big deal. I didn't need it. If I was going to bust some airspace, I would have been on it a little more, but it was like, I was fine. I just right. knew that I was going to get into it. Yeah. So I went up and there was fog and we have some winter weather that we get right here where there's a, there's an airport, Troutdale, that is right at the entrance or the exit to the Columbia River Gorge. So you've got 4,000 foot walls and this great funnel for the wind. And it is right there. So that there's not going to be any fog there. And I knew the winds were high. And so I was like, I'm going to go over and practice some landings, which I hadn't done strong, windy landings in the CT yet. Here's my initial call from them. November 4th, Bravo, correction number four, which is Bravo, runway heaven, wind, and there's 025, got 35, the command of the traffic short final. 25 gust 35. So that was a lot of fun to go. What was your ground speed over the numbers? <laughs> I saw 15 miles an hour. I saw 27. Okay. I saw, I think I saw 23. And one time when I was climbing and I was, <laughs> it's a 5,000 foot runway. So you get to pattern altitude at the end of the runway because of that. And so I pulled the thrall all the way back and I hadn't asked tower. Otherwise I would have put out flaps and actually watched it go backward. But I was pretty close to zero at that point. And wow. you know, that's always fun. But so I, I did a uh, fairly successful power off 180 when I did it, which was something that I've always wanted to try is doing it that much wind because it's so hard to predict how far everything is. So I would not be flying. I would not be landing at that airport in my airplane <laughs> in a high yeah. wing. Oh, well, that's just pretty much right down the runway. But, that's uh, the thing is that's what's great about that airport is it's within 10 degrees of, of okay. the runway. And yeah. there's no way otherwise, but it was like, that is the perfect place to go practice strong winds because it's coming straight down the runway and I can always go back home. I can always go back to my airport where it was like the wind socks were dead across town. Right. That's really cool. Yeah. So it was a fun little adventure. Maybe if uh, in January, I'm, yeah. I'm going to be venturing up to the PNW Pacific Northwest and Ted's offered me a ride. So yeah. I need to lose a little weight probably, but it's okay. No, it's just that I can't go with you. Yeah. <laughs> I just, we'll just go with uh, quarter tanks instead of half tanks. Yeah. Yeah. Full tanks is eight hours. So yeah, it's really easy to not. Yeah. Yeah. Brian, any fun filled flying for you? Pardon the alliteration. <laughs> yeah, I flew pretty much every day last week. I, I the, wow. the plane had been down for some maintenance for a minute. Nothing too terrible. It's just one of those things where you're just waiting on finding the right parts or whatever. But I actually had one momentous flight in that my sister came to visit 
and down from New York. And I took her up. We went to Muscle Shoals to get barbecue. And we took a little, she has a little vial of our dad's ashes that's in this necklace sealed thing. Right. And I had not been able to take her flying before until this point since I got my certificate. So she posted a great Instagram story post. It showed me and her, and then she's holding the vial and it said 2.02 Siskens flew today. (laughs) (laughs) So that was, that was a miraculous sort of moment for me really, because that was the last of my siblings that I had not flown. You know, I feel like I've covered all, all the bases now and yeah, I felt particularly proud and like I really achieved something to be able to do that. Cause I just know that my, my dad would have gotten a real kick out of it. So that was a really great, Absolutely. that was a really great flight. I went to Knoxville. I went to other places around. I did a That's lot awesome. of, a lot of flying, you know, the weather was so great and I just took advantage of it. The only thing I can say that would have been better especially this time of year to have such nice weather would be if perchance, I don't know, I was doing a check ride for a new rating, but I wasn't doing that. But Ben, (laughs) you sure were. Congratulations, Ben. Thank you. Really, I, um, you know, it takes a village and it definitely took a a, a village. It felt like, Uh, I do want to highlight one quick comment um, on your, how long to wait. Josh McElhatton brings up a good point. One thing I've noted with gratitude is how much my waiting on ATC anxiety goes down with the experience. You could not say that any better, Josh. I totally agree with that. On So to get into it, I chose a DPE up in the Charlotte area. And I had met him a couple of years ago during an opposing basis meetup. And this guy, his, his name is Ron Horton. I'll go ahead and throw that out there. He, he's really a very neat guy. He has won the Wright Brothers Award for 50 years of safe flying, uh, which is a really big deal. And um, he and I just hit it off. And I reached out to him back in October and said, hey, this is where I'm at. Uh, I'm looking for a DPE. He said, what I'm really busy in December but how does the 15th look? And I was like, awesome. I, I thought I was going to be doing <laughs> it. Might. So he, he really bent over backwards to help accommodate my timing. I had things come up between October and now. And so it was a little bit rushed at the end. So when I say it takes a village, I have our friend from our last week's podcast, Nathan Ballard was my primary flight instructor. We had some IAC reforms. We had to dance around and get fixed. And he was on call, waiting to help me out. We get up there. So I I fly to Charlotte the day before, flew with One Doll Geek in his Cherokee 235. That was the first time I've flown with him. He is- That's awesome. I aspire to have checklist discipline like he does. Uh, So we flew the route by, so you have to do a cross-country route that you have to discuss during the oral. And so we flew that just so I can get a, overview of what am I looking at for, for the next day. And we had a great time. 
he uh, he took he took time out of his day. He was very gracious because he was getting ready to head down to uh, on another trip the next day. So and then let's see what happened after that. And then I met with a fellow who is in our chat tonight, Echo Charlie. Elliot and I met a couple of years back through also through opposing basis, and I've met him in person a couple of times. Probably as nice as he is funny, and I refer to him as the Will Ferrell of aviation because. <laughs> Comments in the chat during OB would just have me crying with laughter. But he is a uh, A&P with IA, and he's also a pilot. He's the youngest pilot to be type-rated in the Falcon 900, youngest in number of hours. I think he had 500 hours, and he was getting a type rating in a trijet. Uh, wow. He's got a very impressive resume. He's, he's super knowledgeable in so many things. So I took my cross-country flight plan over to him and we talked through it and um, asked him to poke holes in it. There's always, and I guess this goes out to everybody, there's always somebody who's going to know more than you. And there's always going to be somebody who knows a lot less than you. So seek out those folks that know a lot more. Elliot was super, super helpful with me. He, uh, he gave me a tour of the Falcon, which was a pretty amazing airplane. So that was a lot of fun. Wake up next morning and we get started. It was, it's amazing to me. It's my third rating and I probably was as nervous, if not more nervous, this one than I was the first two. It just never goes away. Yeah. And it was pointed out to me several times, if you're not nervous, then there, maybe something's wrong. If you don't have the jitters, then you're probably not taking it seriously enough. So I was not in fear of me not taking it seriously enough because I was, th there was one point of the oral you both know what my go-to weather product is when I'm briefing the weather. Brian, do you want to take a guess at what that number one product is? The Weather Channel because you like the music? No. <laughs> Try again. The GFA it, tool. Oh. Yes. The GFA it's, tool. The GFA tool. And he asked me a question. He goes, so we're going to go to this airport and it doesn't have a weather reporting station. So what are you going to use? And I blanked on it. And it's the one thing that I would have gone to. And I he knew it was nerves. Yeah. He, we, we got to where we needed to be. Yeah, it, it worked out great. It was a very long oral exam, but there was a lot of stories behind the scenarios that he presented to me. It was, it went by very quickly. I had no idea how long it took until I looked at my watch when it was over. So we did that. It was great. He's just the, he's such a, a knowledgeable guy. It's like, you want to spend time with him and hear the stories. It just from osmosis, I feel like my IQ yeah. went up 20 points. The the, uh, the real secret, I think, is that it, check rides are not supposed to teach you. And that's the thing I wanted second most was to learn. And right. it's such a great opportunity to be there with someone who knows more than you do. And yeah. Yeah. So we did that. We got in the plane, the 182. I felt pretty confident on my maneuvers and it was that I got almost got bit. We were doing eights on pylons and I started the maneuver run, uh, wrong and I pulled out of it and then we redid it, which I, I guess was legal. But and then when I did do the maneuver, it was in the, you're supposed to enter on the downwind and I didn't do that. So I got that corrected. The other one I was nervous about is a power off 180 with an accuracy landing. I was super proud of that one. I told him I want to be 
at the very beginning of the thousand foot markers and I hit exactly the point that I was looking for. Now, it was not soft. I did go to the chiropractor <laughs> yesterday. It was, but it, you got no engine. You're trying to get it on the ground. It doesn't really matter right. how soft it is. And then he has to do a soft field landing and he gave me a choice, which I thought was interesting. He said, you can give me a target on the runway that you're going to hit. And then you have that distance to stop before that. He goes, or I know that the taxi, first taxiway is a prescribed number of feet. So you put it down wherever you want, as long as you get it stopped before that taxiway. And that was pretty easy. I could visualize that a lot better. So uh, that was a lot of fun. You said soft field, but you meant short field. Thank you. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We did this after we did the short field landing, we did a soft field takeoff. Do they have you do a go around on commercial? It's no, it, okay. you have the option. If I'm doing a, a short field landing and I don't like how it's set up, I can go around. That's perfectly yeah. legal. It is not a required maneuver. Yeah, you have to demonstrate it on private. And usually that's That's exactly because, right. Because yeah. you usually on private, you mess up at least one and, and need it. So it, exactly. it's a little different. It, it, there were some moments, though, where he could have asked me what my name was and I would have to tell him to stand by. I just felt I'm trying to process, okay, he wants to do an emergency descent. And then I'm going through my mind, through my Rolodex. Okay, which maneuver is this? How do I need to, you know, approach it? Because the nerves were there. We did accelerated um, stalls, which actually have become my favorite maneuver, 45 degree bank and just start pulling back. Wow. The chandelle, I, it was the best chandelle I've ever done. I hit the 180 point and the stall horn started just as I leveled out and I've never planned it out. <laughs> it just... And that's a blind squirrel finding a nut. I, yeah. yeah, just sometimes you just get lucky and I'll take it. That's fine. And then we landed and they're required now that if you don't, if they want to discontinue or fail you, they have to tell you at the point in which you failed. So, you know, if, if you landed and you haven't heard you failed, then you passed. It was a huge weight off my shoulders when we got on the ground and I didn't kill anybody. Yeah. Yeah. Well done. And do you, now that you've been through it, do you think... Considering that the commercial rating is for commercial flying, do you feel that the standards or the experience or the challenge are rightly purpose-built or adequate for that function? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Here's what I think. Uh, and I was talking to AJ, who is in the chat with us tonight. You're not going to be doing a chandelle in a Pilatus or a King Air, <laughs> you don't have a need to. What it does do though, you you know your airplane inside and out and its capabilities inside and out, you know the envelope fully. And I think that translates to whatever aircraft you get into for hire, to be hired in and to operate, you wanna have that level of knowledge and and know it inside and out and the spiraling descents emergency descents it, it doesn't really matter you get point that nose down and, and bank yourself 45 degrees at least and go so it's the express knowledge of how your airplane flies more so than the maneuver in and of itself Ben said that you're not going to do a lazy eight and a plotus and elliot uh said you can do a lazy eight once yeah 
Yeah. Let's go and go ahead and, and disclaim that you can do any maneuver under the sun at least once. It was funny, the Denzel Washington movie where he flies the Barbie jet upside down or whatever it does, that was on TBS or one of the stations when I got home that night. <laughs> this is the next step in the process. But it's there was a lot of in the oral uh, exam about distractions, human factors, throwing up, you know, you got a, a passenger who's just unleashing their stomach contents all over the back of your head. What are you, you going to do? And I told them they weren't on the back of my head, but I did have a passenger a month ago just paint the front of my dash while I'm <laughs> fighting a 12 knot crosswind. So yeah, it's that you just have to focus on the task at hand. And again, and, I'm yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Actually, the retirement party that I went to today, it was that guy. It was his retirement luncheon that I went to today. So we had a lot. He, of he decided after that flight, he decided to retire and make sure that <laughs> he saw the end coming. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, it was again, I knew that when I got at 24 hours after taking it, that it was going to be a great experience. But that time leading up to it. I don't care what you tell yourself. You're going to worry about this. You're going to worry about that. There is always something. There's always something. I deliberately did not call you or bother you too much in the couple of days prior because I wanted you to feel as much as possible. No one even remembered or cared that it was going on. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) I, and I appreciate that. And I was I know that my wife and my three boys knew that it was going on. And of course, Elliot and a few others knew, and you, I know you guys knew, but yeah, the less that know about it. Yeah. Because people are going to ask, how did it go? And if it doesn't go well, yeah. then, but in the same regard, as you tell it to the world that you're going to do it, that then you really, it makes me more motivated to do the best that I possibly could do. So I don't let myself down. So then the question remains, what? is next are you going to get your multi what are you going to do tailwheel is going to be next yeah i um i found a guy i found a couple of different places that are doing tailwheel it was funny and ted and i talked about this earlier on the flight up to charlotte have you seen the the aopa sweepstakes plane the 170 yeah Yeah. i've got a major crush on that airplane and it's it's at peach state which i'm going there tomorrow as a matter of fact for lunch they were on frequency and ATC called him out and said, Hey, are you the AOP plane? And he's yeah. And I chimed in. I was like, that is an awesome looking airplane, <laughs> but no tailwheel is definitely next for me. I do want to do multi. I need to refresh my finances. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Now about this AOPA airplane sweepstakes. Yeah. Do you take any solace or do you believe it to be true at all that it is remotely possible for you to win that airplane by merely being a de facto member of the AOPA or do you feel that it is potentially only going to be won by people that pony up more <laughs> is it right I believe I know it yeah I believe <laughs> that it's going to be people that pony up more because I'm one of those people that pony up more because <laughs> I want that airplane it's not going to happen. I am not going to lose sleep over it. But yes, I am getting my tailwheel rating in preparation of winning that airplane. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. So The, the other one um, we were talking about is was Stevie Treasonberg's plane because she's flying that 
140. Uh, absolutely beautiful 140. It's an awesome, perfectly redone plane. And so she's posting her videos about flying it from California to, to Oshkosh. And it's that's a that's a haul in, in a 140. And it's really cool to, to watch. Yeah. Like I said, there's really, ideally, I'd love a 180 just to keep the brand going as it is. But <laughs> I'm not going to complain. Whatever I get in, I will. Yeah. But again, there's a lot of great takeaways. And, and it may be a good way to, to segue into the other thing we want to just talk about that during the leading up to the check ride, it had been told to me by several people when you start up the plane and you're doing your briefings, make sure you do a brake check and have the DPE do it. And I'd heard stories of people discontinuing or failing their check rides because they did do a brake check. So I fell out of habit of doing that. And it took me two months of doing that to build it back in, to get away from that law of primacy. Ted, what is it that you wanted to ask about, about so, paying for things? Yeah. So we know as private pilots, sport pilots, which is even more restricted, but we know as private pilots that you can't get payment for doing it. Your YouTube video needs to be incidental to the flight, those types of things. So what right. can you do now and what can't you do? Because that's what private pilots tend to think of is, right. I'm restricted now. I go commercial. I can do anything. So I am not a CFI and I, this, I am not a lawyer and, but here's my understanding of the situation. I can, I'm trying to keep this G rated. I don't want us to be, uh, you can provide the pilot and you can provide the plane, but you cannot provide both. So I can't come and pick you up in my, in November 42911 and take you somewhere and charge you for it unless it's my pro rata share. However, if I have a part 135 certificate that I file for now, I can provide my airplane and my services. It's still the pro rata share. And there's a lot more detail about that. It goes into that, that we could take up the whole podcast talking oh, yeah. about common carriage and uh, <laughs> operational control and wet lease versus dry lease and all that. But it's basically you provide the service or the plane, but not both. Yeah. That's, that's cool. Yeah. And yes, Elliot, I am always holding out on you, my friend. Yes. I guess you can't hold out because you can't supply the plane and the pilot. That's so. exactly right. I can hold out. I just can't hold out using my airplane. I can so say, can... hey, if you need somebody to fly your plane for you, I'm your guy. Right. So that's uh, ferrying a plane and getting paid for it, for instance. That's right. Right. Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's it. Yeah. I actually... I tried to resist doing this because I still have a little ways to go before I retire from my current job, but I did go on indeed.com and it was very disheartening when you first look at it. We need 250 hours of multi. We need all these requirements. But I was um, with AJ and a couple of other pilots last night and one of them is a corporate pilot, flies for a yeah. part 135 company. And a lot of these companies will pay for some of these things that you need. If you bring them with a thousand hours of experience in a commercial rating, they will help you finish the rest of way of where they need you to be. So it's, it was disconcerting at first, but there's a lot more, a lot more to it. And speaking of things that you can do, Todd says you could do fish spotting. I'm a huge inshore fisherman. 
I would love to go just take my 180 or take somebody else's 182 or whatever they want to put me in and fly around the bay all day long. I would do that. Forestry service flies 182s. I could go to work with them tomorrow if I, if I uh, wanted to, I think. So pipeline patrol is the other one. Pipeline patrol survey. Low hour. Yeah. Survey. Yeah. Yep. There's a lot of so, survey planes, by the way. Mm-hmm. But there, you have to get on with the right company because a lot yeah. of them don't maintain their, have a reputation for not oh. maintaining the <laughs> Yeah, that does seem like some of the more dangerous stuff. So speaking of all of that, and yeah, they'll pay for type ratings. Sometimes they'll pay for some of your multi-time. Brian, just plain silly, was on the relaunched Fly the Transition podcast, yep. which is basically the Ben story, right? It's people that are doing a second career into this. And yet they were having that conversation specifically about don't get your own type rating. They'll, they'll get that for you. And th- there's some squishiness in those requirements. I, I'm still waiting for Elliot. He works for a very large manufacturer and I'm waiting for him to uh, make me an offer to, to join his company and pay for my G5, Gulfstream G5 rating. I'll probably be waiting for a little while. Yeah. So speaking, yeah, speaking of uh, checking the brakes, as you said, because yes, and doing the thing that that I know, maybe this is especially a thing as plane owners or once after your first hundred hours, maybe. But yeah, it's those bad habits, and it's yeah. Brian, you mentioned this. I don't know which conversation we were having, but the law of primacy is a real thing and it i loved my initial instructors i thought they did a fantastic job but i look back now at what i see some watching one doll geek and his habits and what he does he formed them the right way from the very beginning i don't begrudge my instructors but it is a conscious effort to maintain the level of discipline that I feel like I need, especially as a commercial pilot. I'll give you another example of the check ride, bad habits. I brief a departure every time. Now, depending on who my passengers are, I might not say it out loud, but I will know yeah. exactly which points and all. If it's another pilot or somebody that's even interested in aviation, I'm going to say it out loud. I did that on the check ride for the first takeoff, but I didn't do it any other time after that. Yeah. Because I'm not used to doing it. I'm not used to, you know, doing a check ride. But the point is, is that if I was saying it out loud every single time, regardless of who's in the plane, that would not have been a problem. Yeah. You're saying for your departure brief or just for my departure brief? No, just the departure for everything technically, but for the departure brief, Absolutely. That's really what I'm referring to. Yeah. I mean, it is a little tricky when you have a, say a first time small airplane passenger, you don't want to get into like when the engine fails. Yes. That's exactly right. Yeah. If we're below a thousand feet, we're going to aim for that fill and pray to God. Yeah. yeah. That's, that doesn't instill a lot of confidence, but you can soften it up a little bit for your non-aviation passengers, but still yeah. that's a, that's something that I have to now work really hard at. I usually spend yeah. enough time on the passenger brief about <laughs> run backward, do not go forward with the spinny thing. Those types of things that I definitely don't want to talk about my takeoff briefing 
to a nervous passenger because I've already mentioned quite a few things at that point. But I was thinking about that because I have never been in that habit, which is you go fly, you go to another airport. Let's say you're, especially you're just doing touch and goes, but it doesn't matter. You go over there. I don't brief that one. And that's not right. good. But yeah. when do you do that? On the flight over there? Whatever the case is, that is not a habit I've ever had. And that's not good either. I think there's a lot of things that have helped me. For instance, when I was in training, I was never doing a lot. You're not doing a lot of cross-country flights. You're doing mostly procedural things. And it wasn't until I got out on my own and started going to a lot of different airports that I started using the procedure function in ForeFlight. And there's something about doing just even that for everywhere that I'm going. Ideally, I, I you know I start on the ground with it and go, okay, what is the weather? If it's a long trip, you might do it on your way in, or at least you're going to obviously verify everything against what you've chosen or anticipated. But that gives me something that I'm, te- you know, in a tactile sense, pressing or doing that then I sort of can read from or brief back to myself, visualize, look outside, look back, compare it against perhaps what the 530s, see, you know, I don't know. So there's maybe things like that. I think what I see is people in their training started vocalizing everything from the get-go versus not. I think that's a huge thing because now, even when I'm by myself, I vocalize absolutely everything down to wild amounts of minutiae in terms of you would think that I'm landing a 737 half the time because I'm evaluating my approach. I'm telling myself to confirming that I'm aligned with the runway or that my speed at I'm here at 500 feet and my speed is good and all these things. So there's a lot of, I think, self-feedback that you can get yourself into that is helpful. And if you haven't built that even to start with, then you're going to be perhaps that much more behind it. I think Well, there's also just the primary, I think, misinterpretation of the function of checklist. At least as a, I'm not a CFI, but I, I feel like Early on, I started to figure out that is a means to verify what I'm doing, not a to-do list for what I'm going to do. And that really helped. But those are all interpretations that are the baseline, I think, for that primacy that you either, either can keep or not. But I think in general, it's totally natural, especially for us numb nuts like me that are 400 hours. Boy, is that the sweet spot to start feeling like you're getting in and out of the car a little bit. But so I I do want to clarify one thing. I don't necessarily think that not saying your flow checks or your checklist items out loud is a bad habit. It depends from one person to the next. And I'll give you what I'm talking about here. A a, a friend of mine who lives down in South Georgia, he's a flying mentor to me, his name's Skip. He has a baron. I've never heard him utter one checklist item, but he has, you can watch his hands move in a very defined way and he's touching things. He's just not saying anything. He has absolutely no desire to go, to, to, but to fly his family around in his barren. He doesn't have a commercial. He doesn't want to be paid for anything. So it doesn't matter to him. For me, if I'm going to be getting in the right seat of an airplane that's going to have a ops manual where you've got flows and checks and reads and responses, then yeah, I need to be doing it. So 
I'm not saying specifically not vocalizing your checklist out loud is a bad habit in and of itself, but actually not doing it. That's the, the bad habit. Yeah. I think what it comes down to also is you have, there's a creep of, like you said, in training, there's a lot of good habits that you probably have. And then slowly you start to recognize that little by little, those things are getting chipped away from and it's not very noticeable because it's such a slow creep. And then that creates a slight void, I I think, of some kind of ambiguity, perhaps. And then it really sets the stage for other things to come into play that would be, it makes room for bad habits. 100% agree with that. It And it, it developed with, there's little things over time. You'll get out of a, a descent checklist where you're just not doing it. Well, you're doing your flows, but I, uh, about two months ago, I started getting back into it. I had one time where I forgot to enrich in the mixture and I heard a little engine sputter. I'm like, oh yeah, you're at 9,000 feet, you idiot. <laughs> when you go down to 3,000 feet, it doesn't have enough fuel. <laughs> it's sometimes you get punched in the nose to remind yourself those little, little bitty micro things. Oh yeah. Let's not forget those. Let's, that's why we have checklists. That's why we do things. There are other habits. You made a comment in your last video, which again, I say this about all of them, but Brian, your video, it may be one of your best ones yet. You, you had a phrase in there. I wrote it down and in the phrase, please, I'm sorry if I don't get it exactly right, but we're all tethered to risk. Do you remember saying that? I said, yeah, I said something along the lines of, um, that in some level, maybe aspirational or otherwise, I'm just trying to always make sure that in my consciousness that I am always tethered to the realities of the risk in aviation. That was what I was getting exactly. at. Exactly. And that to me hit the nail on the head. I, I felt uh, a, a strong draw to that. And those are the where the bad habits come in and why we need to fight them. I, it just, it, it hit home with me very close. Yeah. I really, Brian just put up this video yesterday and it's a good reminder of something that we've been, several have been thinking about in various ways, which was how do you recognize the bad habits in yourself and how do you, do you call out someone else for them? And if you're only doing a BFR every two years, you may not be flying with someone who will point out mistakes that you're making or risk that you are taking and not thinking about or things like that. And I, I think that it is a little bit easier to build those bad habits when you're flying a single plane and you're flying it generally alone than if you're with somebody who will point that that out to you. Right. I think... By the way, I didn't really want to make, I was I guess I'm, of course I wanted to make what I made, but I wasn't sure if I wanted to say it, <laughs> which in a weird way became a meta experience in my head because I, I was thinking, no, this is, I, you got to, if you've got something to say, you should say it. If it's wrong, Nobody will figure it out faster than someone in the aviation community and tell you. <laughs> and that's fine. If I'm right, great. Also, maybe things are not in these 
absolutes or these kind of binary considerations. And maybe it's just about the act or the pledge to yourself to just remain conscious and call other people out if you have to, because again, it always remained tethered to the the risks. Exactly. I think that it's easy in the same way that it is. For instance, when I moved to New York City and I didn't drive for <laughs> a few years or whatever, and then you get back in a car outside of New York somewhere, you're back wherever, it's shock. You're, you're like, I can't believe that this is legal, that people <laughs> are allowed to drive around these heavy, completely vulnerable, freewheeling. Everybody's got independent control and can do whatever they want. And they're all on their phones. And this is bonkers, yeah. man. This is absolutely insane. I think that I'm trying to just, with aviation, try to do everything I can to not, it's a battle because you want to be comfortable because you want to not be task saturated so that if you are in an emergency or you need that extra bandwidth, it's there, but you have to be careful about how that presents and how it molds because it can easily become something that is problematic. And I just think that for me, I have been maybe, and maybe it's a little bit of that imposter syndrome that we talk about a lot, but right. it's who am I to say, and we are also rightfully conditioned to say, I'm not a CFI, go talk to a CFI, which is all real. But at the same time, people need to be more open and available to criticism from each other and to set aside pride and set aside your ego. My lecture every time I fly with another pilot is I tell them I don't have any pride. I don't have any ego. If you see something you don't like, tell me. It doesn't mean that means it could even be something that's not an issue at all, but still call it out. And then I'll say, oh, that's actually not a big deal or whatever. Right. I'm Put me in a position to defend, put me in a, in a position to clarify put me in a position to do better and I will do the same for you. And I think that that should go beyond the people that are just in the plane with you. And I think that if you see someone in YouTube videos that is doing things that are precarious, then it's better to say something than to not say something. If you see somebody at your local field or you have one of your friends or whatever it is, it's just always going to be better to to say something than not. And we have to be above the discomfort of confrontational or seemingly confrontational conversations so that we can keep tabs on each other because the risks are real. And we're talking about family. We're talking about friends. We're talking right. about people on the ground or whatever. Yeah. So that's really so what I was getting at. The primacy that hit with me and to maybe put an exclamation point on this, I have about, at this time, I had about 200 hours and I'm flying with my brother-in-law. At the time, he was flying for the airlines, and it had probably been two months, and he asked me to go up with him. Now, he had 19,000 hours to my 200 hours, and we're coming in on final approach, and we're probably 250, 300 feet above the ground when he starts to flare because his sight picture has been in a 757, and that's what the sight picture is. And I said something to him, <laughs> and I'm like, to the point where I know you got more hours than I do, but you're flaring not just a little bit early, but like days early. <laughs> just, and he goes, oh yeah, I'm not in the 757. And and when we landed, he 
he put, he said to me very pointedly and very candidly, don't you ever be scared to speak up. I don't care what other pilot you're flying with and how many hours, if you see something that doesn't look right to you, you speak up. The worst thing that happens is going to be is they're going to be pissed off at you and who cares? How to recognize bad habits in yourself, how to solve. Yeah, because we we're talking about how to speak up with other people's bad habits, things like that. But we're not recording everything we do and putting it on YouTube. We're not right. always having somebody in the plane with us. So how do you recognize bad habits in yourself? That's a that's a great question. Be open to and encourage the observation and opinions of others, I think is one thing. Even if they're not in the plane with you, they can even check you in, in sort of an abstract sense of just asking you, how do you feel about your flying right now? Do you feel like you're living up to what you challenged yourself to do in the first place? Or right. do you feel like you're holding up your part of the deal? I mean, it could be even something as secondary or tertiary as that. I think it's like anything else. There's going to be signs. There's going to be small things that I think you can just pay enough attention to. Ben, when you were talking about your mixture being set at right. the most fuel efficient setting of all time for a <laughs> that burning 14 gallons an hour at that point, by the way. So I think that the way to look at that, again, I'm not a CFI, but I think that at least the way I interpret things like that when they happen is it's easy to go, I really need to be better about checklists. And that's true. If you were following a checklist for your descent, then that wouldn't have happened. However, to me, those are little alarm bells. Those are little little um, little things popping up that kind of tell me that I need to be looking at the entirety of what's going on and being more aware and more thorough. I'm get, It just tells you you're getting a little loose. Yep. And yeah. so that's probably going to be, if you don't do anything about that, it's going to be something else the next time or whatever. So as much as it's these kind of whack-a-mole kind of, yes, I can solve this with that and I can solve this with that. I think that you can always check yourself, I think, by seeing how many of those kind of things are hanging out. I did have one takeoff fairly recently. I can't remember where it was or when, but it was fairly recently. But I just remember I do all my checklists and my flows to go and I always leave my mixture super lean and the fuel pump off until I'm really actually going. And there was just one time where I forgot to do that. And I started to go with a little bit of power. And luckily I'm not jamming power and all that. So it was just a little bit of a burp. And then I was able to just slide it up and smoothly carry on with it. But that just told me you've got to tighten up some snap into a little bit more awareness. I, I think two different categories of, or ways that I see to recognize this. The one is what we're talking about, which is when you recognize yourself making a mistake, those are good moments to look and see what other mistakes you're making. The other one that we haven't really talked about, though, is continue to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, if you're reading or if you're watching CFI videos, if you're reading Killing Zone, a million other books, if you're reading AOP, whatever it is, usually those are the types where it's like people are talking about checklist discipline. You're like, oh, you know what? I'm not doing that. Or they talk about yeah, whatever it is. Great example. You fly the pattern. Yeah. I was reading, I think it was an AOP article. And I, I had a bad habit. I was making too steep a turns in the pattern. 
Yeah. I was doing 45 and that's all in the pattern setup. I can avoid that. I don't have to make 45 degree turns. If I think I'm going to overshoot the final and I'm banking that hard, guess what? That's a terrible habit to get into. That's a great yeah. way to stall an airplane. Yeah. That's a perfect example of that, Ted. And I'm glad you called that out. Yeah. It, maintaining your education level and just finding different sources to find this information. Yeah, they're, Josh they're just makes reminders. another good point yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. Josh makes another good point. Invite other pilots to fly. Josh, if you need me to, I could come up there and fly with you if you need a pilot. I haven't, I'm <laughs> probably the only one in the group that hadn't been in your series yet. So all you have to do is ask. <laughs> it's a great plane. So um, I was happy to fly in Josh's plane when we were flying down in Florida at low altitude for long periods of time in the summer. With uh, AC? Yeah, that was really nice. Not even funny. Josh is a great pilot. We'll start wrapping it up here. We want you to join our Discord. Send us an email at midlifepilotpodcast at gmail.com. There was a couple of other things. What was that? You can support us on Spotify. You can do it for as little as 25 cents an episode, 99 cents a month. Leave us feedback. But there was one other thing that, oh, oh hey, do we um, want to talk um, about the uh, meetup? Yeah. By the way, on the supporters, Adam R. signed up. Thanks. And oh, Peter thank T. You. Yeah. Our, our friend Peter T upped his level, which is not actually easy to do in Spotify. So thanks, Peter. Thanks for making yeah. that effort, Peter. We appreciate you. Yeah. So speaking of Josh's Cirrus, I've sat in it. I haven't flown in it. I'm hoping that he's coming to the meetup in April because I'd love to to go flying in it. I So when is this? April 26th? April 28th. 28th? Yeah. Through the 30th is when we're all getting together in Bachelorette party capital of the U.S., <laughs> also known as Nashville, White yes. Claw Clapper. <laughs> yeah. So let's smoothly say this again, guys, because we just said a lot of days and things, but I just want people to be clear. It is April 26th through the 28th. The main oh, day is the 27th. That is the Saturday. Get here early in the week, leave later the next week, do whatever you want. We'll be getting together the Friday night, and then we'll be doing a lot of different flying adventures on Saturday, and we'll, there'll even be a little bit more flying early on Sunday. We have a website that will be in the show notes that will explain all of the stops. You can even see video of each of these locations. There's a lot of information there, but most importantly, we have on this website that is too complicated to say in the audio podcast, but is in the show notes that there is a button that is really easy to find on that website where you just click it and answer a few non-intrusive questions that state your intention to come so that we can gauge the interest and likelihood of who is coming and whether you're bringing a plane or not. It helps us do some of this planning I will say right away that we possibly have gotten in over our heads <laughs> <laughs> and there's been way more interest than we ever anticipated, but we will make it all happen one way or the other. And I don't know what the, I don't know what the weight limit is in Josh's plane, but we can probably put six or seven people in there. I don't know. No, but it's been incredible to see the amount of interest that we've had and we will 
make it all happen. And ultimately, while the flying stuff is great, I always just want to reiterate that we've done this before. The hanging out is always the best part. So you'll get some cool flying in and see some new places, but you'll also get to mix it up in some other different airplanes and meet new people and see the familiar faces of Discord and what do you call it? IRL. And uh, it's really a very exciting thing. And if Chris, OG midlife pilot makes it, then it'll just be the icing on the cake. But anyway, that's the gist of it. The show notes are the, the doobly-doo is where you go to get all the information about that. And we are super excited. I'm glad we actually thought of it ahead of time so we can plan. <laughs> and Ben's um, been doing a lot of work. We're going to uh, on uh, some Airbnb accommodations and probably going to send out a message in the next, I don't know, week or so to start seeing who's interested in that. I literally booked my tickets today, so I'm coming out. I'll be there Thursday evening and be leaving Sunday evening. So if anybody's coming early, be around beginning Thursday evening. Officially, it starts late Friday. So cool. I am, I'm going to go on record. Juliet Echo Foxtrot in the chat said, bring your own White Claws. <laughs> I am working on a sponsorship from White Claws. I'm hoping to have that, <laughs> that you don't have to bring your own because nobody, especially any midlifers, really should be bringing <laughs> caught with White Claw in your airplane. Anything else to cover on that, gentlemen? Non-alcoholic options are available as well. And absolutely, we're serious about not drinking too heavily, flying, hang out with people is the priority order here. So we'll wrap this up, but for next week, we've got some stuff in the works. It's going to be a Christmas holiday year-end special review. Uh, got, <laughs> is that what we're calling it? I don't know what we're calling it. I'm just throwing out a bag of words episode here. <laughs> Year-end review. But it's going to be big. It's going to be big. There's going to be tons of there's, there's countdowns, there are lists. Uh, there's just all kinds of pre-production that is going into this. And you guys have gone completely ham on this whole thing. <laughs> I'm, all right. We'll see. I hope it goes as well as I think it will. Is it going to be three hours long or? New. Two hours? I, I don't know. It's going to be long. Depends on how much I drink. I don't yeah. think it'll be that yeah, Exactly. Long. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'm excited. No, yeah. No promises here on how long it's going to be or how chaotic it is we're just gonna have fun yeah we'll wrap it up with that gentlemen thanks for potting with us tonight thanks to everybody in the chat been reading your comments trying to get to a few of them shout out to elliot and nathan ballard you guys really helped me out this past week i'm very grateful for you all and grateful for all the support of everybody that's reached out it's it I just say I, I say it too much but this community is pretty pretty amazing so thank you all Wrapping up episode 54 of the Midlife Pilot Podcast. Good night, everybody. <laughs>